when you're in sales, you're willing to really say, hey, I'm going to take my life on. I'm going to take my career on. And as far as I'm willing to grow and challenge myself, that's how much I'm going to be able to be successful in my life and make a lot of money. And, and I would say, so kudos to every one of you for the courage that it takes to be that responsible and, and that willing to really take yourself on in, a, in your career. Boom. Episode 65 of the Sales Mastermind. And folks, I am deeply excited because today we are joined by Dr. John Musser, who is the founder and CEO of Enhanced Sales Potential. So if your organization is struggling to consistently deliver sales results, John's team will help you maximize sales productivity and make better hiring decisions, improve the team culture to get back on track. In his 20 plus year of sales consulting, um, he has helped improve hundreds of teams at impressive logos like Oracle, Johnson & Johnson, Wells Fargo, and more. But more important and more valuable than his track record is John's character. John is one of the most wise, kind, and empathetic men I am honored to know, and we are beyond excited to give you guys the opportunity to connect with him, pick his brain on any of your sales-related or career-related questions. John, thank you so much for coming on with us. It is my pleasure, Nick. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Boy, with that buildup, I hope I have something nice to say and, and valuable to say. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Brilliant. Yeah. And there's no question you will. I am so curious to hear a little bit more about just like the kinds of dysfunctions you've come across that might be like very common trends within sales organizations. <laughs> Um, I would imagine that culture is often a culprit more often than not when things are going awry. Um, so I'd be curious to hear maybe what are some of the most common things that you've come across that are really just like sapping energy from sales teams? Well, the most, one of the most common things that I see is that um, sales leaders who have not really been trained to be effective sales managers focus way too much on results. They focus too much on the end of a sales pipeline and they're focused on numbers and data and metrics because that's what's being asked for from above. And they're not spending enough time helping their salespeople get the actual skills to take an opportunity through the pipeline. So it's, it's way too much emphasis on results and the end result and not enough on the process not enough on the actual interactions day to day with clients and customers and prospects. That's number one from my perspective. And then what happens is, you know, I see the sales cultures being defined by a, a two dimensional, um, two factors. One is how much support is being given to the salespeople. And when I say support, it's things like coaching, um, decent compensation, uh, incentives, spiffs, um, training, mentoring, coaching, opportunity for advancement, all of those things are the things that I see as support. But the other dimension is accountability, where people are being held to account for what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and when there's too much support and not enough accountability, you get a, um, 
you get a culture that doesn't grow, not enough is happening, and companies fail, and out of that panic, things become untenable. When you have too much accountability uh, and not enough support, you have a toxic culture where salespeople feel like they're constantly being beaten up, not getting enough support and training and knowing how to do their job and execute effectively, and it becomes a what have you done for me lately? And I and salespeople go, I'm I went out of here. <laughs> There's got to be greener pastures somewhere else. So that's just a really brief but quick way that I would say that. So that getting makes... companies, getting companies to get that balance right of having managers, leaders, and to have the game set up at their company, so that everybody knows exactly what's expected. They know how to execute their sales process. Everybody knows how it's being tracked. Everybody's on the same page. And there's a lot of mentoring and coaching happening and availability of managers to be there and have the backs of their salespeople and where that's the focus. Um, and then holding people to account with the, all of that infrastructure in place and that kind of time investment with the salespeople. That makes a super producing high performance sales culture and salespeople love it. They love it. That's excellent. You answered my question before I could even ask it, which is how do you find the balance and, and turn that around? So it sounds like when there's an appropriate mix of support, as you defined it, you know, proper compensation and incentives, but also career development and training and mentorship, as well as the accountability, you know exactly what you're supposed to do within your well-defined role. And you have a leader who's going to hold you, keep your feet to the fire if you go astray. Um, if you have a healthy mix of that, it seems like teams tend to be productive. Um, what are some of the most like cumbersome things that you've seen slow down teams that you feel are really easy to, to fix if you just know what to look for? Hmm. Well, <laughs> one of the most common things that I find that salespeople tend to fall into is blaming outside factors that they can't control. And we know that there's always going to be a service organization that doesn't quite follow through. There's not going to be an operations team that's really delivering the product the way that you promised. There's not going to be um, the kinds of other parts of the business that are, that should be functioning the way that we think they should. Um, and that can be marketing or whatever else. And I find that salespeople who spend too much time blaming, pointing the finger, uh, focusing on things that they have no control over, that, they, that that's not productive. And what salespeople need to learn is I, I need to be clear about what I have control over, and I have to ask for help from my manager on how to spin things and how to manage things and position things so that I can be successful in the midst of dysfunction because there is no perfect company that I've found yet <laughs> that's firing on all cylinders where everybody's doing what they should be doing. So it's, it's focused on what we can control, taking responsibility for our results, never giving up, and always looking for what else is possible as a way to handle the breakdowns that are going to occur all the time around us. That's really key for me in my role at Toggle right now, um, kind of focusing on what I can control in the midst of some external chaos where maybe justifiably X or Y could be blamed for certain things. Um, when you're in an environment 
where it is reasonable and objectively true to look at something and say, this isn't how it should be. How can a healthy and well-functioning sales organization drive internal change within those other departments? Like what, what strategies have you seen that are actually effective? Well, the salespeople need to communicate to their managers so that they know what's happening on the ground, right? Because a lot of time there's disconnect between a VP level and then the management level and then the field and what's actually happening real time. So salespeople need to let people, let the managers know and encourage their manager to communicate up to the VP what's happening in real time in the field. So, so we have to express it. But when we express it, we also should be looking for solutions and looking for possibility. And when you as a salesperson are always seen as someone who's looking for possibility, forward looking to the future, not complaining about what's happening in, in the past, or blaming or doing that kind of finger pointing. But when you come with a possible solution or idea or, or at least seeking a way to manage effectively within the dysfunction, um, then you're seen as a solution seeker, a possibility generator. And you're seen as somebody who's looking for things to work as a collaborator, a partner, and somebody who's seeking things to, to end up being successful. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's really cultivating that solution mindset and trying to focus on what you can control and openly communicating with your superiors in a way that like promotes solutions. One, one more thing that I've found that's helpful. If you have leaders that are willing to really listen to what's happening on the ground, if you can form internal customers, I talk about it as a lot of times we as salespeople, we forget that we have internal customers as well as external customers. And when you can build your relationships cross-functionally and build partnerships and build strong connections to, with all the different people that are supporting you and working with you in other departments, then when you guys have a really strong, tight bond and you both come in alliance to your managers and say, hey, we have an idea. We have something we'd like to talk to you about. We'd like to pitch it to you. We'd like to talk about this and see if it's something that can be listened to and maybe considered. Then it's, it's even more effective, right? So you, you have a team that comes, you, you bring it up and you lift it as a possibility, and, and you then have something that's a potential solution that the leaders can consider, or they can poke holes in it or see what is possible at their level. And we also have to always remember as salespeople, we have a limited view of what's possible. From our perspective, what is happening at two levels above us may not make any sense at all. But to them, at that level, it makes complete sense. So one of the things we can also ask for is, please give me context. Mr. VP, at your level, this is what's happening at our level. We don't get it. Can you help us from your perspective and from your view in the organization, help us understand why this is happening so that we have a way of understanding this and navigating through it? Yeah, and ideally you have and work for the kind of leader who is willing to give you that honest feedback when you seek it out. And that can be kind of like a, uh, you know, a test in a way. Like if you don't have that culture, well, like that's, that's a factor that you have to take into consideration. So one question. Can I, have, can I, have, can mm -hmm. I have more, can I have one more thing? Totally. If you're in a culture, if you're in a culture where your VP levels are at war with each other, 
and there's too much ego at that level, at the leadership team level, and they're fighting each other and they're not willing to work together, then you're going to have a dysfunctional team and culture and it's not going to get fixed. The, the VPs at the level of leadership team, two levels, three levels above you, they need to be willing to put their egos aside and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversations, communications, tell the truth and work towards solutions. And if that's not happening in your company, and if there's favoritism, that one function is being favored over another, which is very common, um, especially with CEOs who have blind spots, <laughs> it's not gonna be a healthy culture. And you might wanna find a company that has a little bit more higher functioning uh, senior leadership team. That is really insightful and wise. Um, I would be curious to know as well, like what are some green flags that you come across in sales leadership where you know like, oh, this is gonna be a fun engagement to work with. This person is very humble and coachable. What are some of those traits and characteristics that you've come across where you know, you know that real progress can be made even if there is some dysfunction today? Yeah, I think leaders who are willing to listen. If you've got a leader who's l willing to sit down and really hear what's happening in his organization and listen and really take the time to understand and authentically cares about his employees, remembers your name, talks to you, remembers who you are, is, is on the ground listening, 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 listening to the organization. That is a huge trait that I think great leaders have. And I think sales leaders who are willing to not stay behind the spreadsheets and the high level strategic conversations, but to really get in the field, to understand what's going on with their customers, having meetings with their customers, really knowing what's, what it's like to sit in the role of a salesperson, navigating the CRM, working internally cross-functionally, as well as talking to the customers and knowing what's happening on the ground. That's the kind of leader you want. You want somebody who's really not in an ivory tower, but somebody who is empathetic, listening, gathering information, and open. What about from like a, an operational standpoint? Um, are there, if a, if a leader just naturally, you know, isn't the best at remembering everyone's names, are there, are there different things, not that that's all that that listening boils down to, but are there different things that um, if that's not a strength of theirs that they can make up for um, by having other yes. really good traits? Yeah, great, great sales leaders and great executives can also be uh, great, have a great strategy and a great vision. Uh, know where to and how to position themselves in their market, um, design and create processes and systems that are easy to use, makes your job easier to execute, aligns the different functions together. Um, there are great, um, there are some sales leaders and some executives that are super great operationally and process wise, and that's a phenomenal thing to have. Um, there's others who are great visionaries and know exactly how to position you in the market with pricing and product and knows how to be the right spot, sweet spot in your, in the, against your competitors. Those are great leaders too. So it, there's a lot that goes into being a great leader and hopefully they've got one of those avenues that's really strong if they're missing the relationship piece. That is incredible. So I don't know, guys. What what questions do you want to ask John? 
I'm sure that, you know, a lot of ideas are buzzing in your heads. Um, I feel like we're 20 minutes into this. It would be phenomenal to open it up for you. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, just a quick question on the first question you talked about with accountability and alignment between the different levels of management down to the people in the field. Um, I work for a smaller company. It's a startup. It's just me and the CEO. What kinds of things can I be doing to not only drive results, but set expectations that are realistic, but that lead to getting results? Oh, man. Well, I think that one of the things that you can do is define the pipeline, define the um, sales process and the stages of your sale so that you can begin to get some sense of predictability on your pipeline and your results. He wants to know how much revenue he can count on as he's growing his business and making investments. And you need to be able to predict the revenue flow. And that's not easy to do in a startup because everything is new, right? Everything is being invented from scratch. And you don't have a lot of structure for knowing how long the sales process takes, um, how long different stages take. And depending on if you have a long sales cycle or a short sales cycle, that's going to be even harder to do because longer sales cycles are really hard to define, especially if you're getting it all started. So I don't know if that's very helpful, but predictability is what he's looking for. He wants to know how to predict his revenue. What are like a few, I'll leave it uh, after this, but just what are a few actionable tips I could use to start defining what predictable revenue is? Start defining the milestones in your sales process. So what are your milestones that you have, that you know are predictable that you have to achieve at various stages in the process? So you have your first meeting, you're going to do discovery. You're going to begin to understand, are we a good fit? Are you going to listen to your customer and kind of get to know, you know, what's going on there? Then they're going to start seeming like they're interested. And so you're going to start now doing more qualification, defining your solution, getting more into the details. Eventually you're going to want it. They're going to ask for a proposal if they're really in with you. And, but you want to make sure it's well qualified before you do a proposal and waste, don't waste your time. And then, it just depends on how complex everything is from there, but that gives you some gates to kind of know where your deals are, and it gives you a way to classify your opportunities in each one of those stages so that you can then begin to determine where and when things are going to hit those later stages. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Define the milestones. If you can get those milestones down, well, I have to make sure that I get done before I move to the next stage. That will help you. Yeah, that is excellent. Okay. Um, me, in my case at Toggle, um, my team has struggled with like low activity. And I think that I haven't, I don't think I have a, a strong suit right now for giving accountability when it's really needed. Um, I can be mostly reactive and say like, Hey, we need to get up to this level. Hey, we need to get up to this level. But it's actually a real struggle for me to like put my foot down and say like, it is unacceptable if we are below this level. Um, so my approach to this to try and make up for that is going to be to like lead alongside the team 
um, and hit the account or not the account, the uh, activity expectations that I'm going to give them for this coming week in this campaign that we're running. Um, but I, I don't want to just rely on that because there's going to be times when I can't do everything at the same time. Um, do you have any advice for like how to give healthy yeah, accountability? Well, first of all, you got to set the game up, right? So you got to, so giving structure is the first step. So the first step is you got to have weekly meetings and every weekly meeting needs to start with a check-in on how it went last week and what you accomplished. But at the end of every meeting each week, you want the sales rep to promise what activities and actions they're going to take. And, and that can be, you know, if it's making calls, how many dials, how many actual conversations, how many meetings are going to get set. You need to define what you're going to measure, right? And then you need to have them measure those things every week. And as you start your next check-in call the following week, you ask, okay, so what happened? So the first question is what happened? And um, then they're going to give you the results, whatever it was. And then you're going to praise them and acknowledge that whatever the success they had, start with praising whatever progress, whatever effort, whatever success was made. And then you're going to say either you, so you hit your goal or you didn't hit your goal, correct? And you're going to get them to own it, take responsibility for whatever the results were. No blame, no shame, just own it, own what happened, right? You're modeling responsibility for the results. Then you're going to say, what did you learn through this process and what could you have done differently and what would you do differently next time? So that's, so what did you learn from it? What, when did you stop? At what point did you stop and what can you do differently next week to have different results? Those are three questions that focus on the future not the past and not shaming, not, not putting people in a negative place. Because we don't want to do that. That's not what we're focused on. We want to be focused on the future. Make sense? Yeah, that really does. That's super useful. Um, and I'm definitely going to start incorporating that into our meetings. Um, hmm. This is already valuable. <laughs> like the entire thing is valuable, <laughs> but now it's valuable for me. <laughs> awesome. Cool. What else, guys? What would you like to, to hear from John? Um, if there's no like immediate obvious questions that pop to mind, then we could probably switch over to our uh, typical mastermind format. I'll give a shot, John. So uh, <clears throat> similar to Ryan, I'm at a small startup company, just five people. And this is my first, first sales role. I just came on in, in uh, end of July. So I've been kind of forging the, the uncharted territory of a sales process and I've been learning about trying to, to get that cadence going. Um, but I'm curious if you can speak to the end of that process and the close. And I, I have a couple, a couple deals potentially in, in motion right now. And then, you know, the sort of age old saying of always be closing is in the back of my mind. And I'm curious if you believe in that phrase and if you have any sort of nuanced advice about the balance between as, as a, 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 an opportunity is moving forward, how do you give space to that person, that potential client versus like make the hard ask to try to seal it? Does that make sense? Yes, totally, Joel. So Joel, let me just ask you this. How long is your sales cycle? 
like how many calls does it typically take for people to get to a decision point? Yeah, is it I mean, a two to three call sale? Is it six months? Is it three months? Is it a it's, year? You know, it's it's so it's so inconsistent. I would say at this point because it's such an early company, it's a year and a half, year and a half old company, and we're just kind of been building out some partnerships. But maybe maybe six weeks, two months. Okay. Depends. All right. So what I would what I would say is closes don't happen at the end. Closes happen along the way. So part of what I would say is one of the biggest common mistakes that all of us, including myself, make in sales is that I don't spend enough time up front in the early part of the sales process to really ask the critical questions to determine why this customer is going to take action or not and, and what is motivating them to do it or not to do it. There's a lot of other things we have to uncover but early on, those are the most critical things that we need to find out. What are their goals? What are their challenges? What are their obstacles? What have they tried in the past? What would motivate them to change if they're already using your service, but they need to change? And if they've never used your service and they need to do it, it would help them. That's going to be an even harder, bigger lift because you have to create a new possibility out of something that they hadn't thought of. So, Creating that, that desire of I need what you have and I'm really motivated to be engaged with you and I think this is something that could make a huge difference in my business, that's something that actually that's the close and it's starting early in the process and it happens by you listening, taking lots of time to really get clear about that before you start jumping into presenting your product or solution. Too many salespeople jump too quickly into presenting their solution, and it's, it cuts your, your ability to close off because you at that point, as soon as you start presenting, you become a commodity because they think, oh, you're just here to sell me something because you didn't take enough time up front to become my partner to really understand me, to understand my business, to understand what I'm going through and why I would make any change or why I'm not going to make a change. And we have to be open. We have to be willing as salespeople to listen to this person's not going to change. There's not enough reason. There's not enough motivation. And we, if we just start talking too quickly, we get happy years. We think that because we're speaking so eloquently that they're interested <laughs> and they're not. See, and then there's no way to close because they're not really engaged with you. Make sense? So, so present slowly later in the process. Qualify, make sure you uncover their motivations and obstacles and barriers and the things that would prevent them from taking action. Listen for that early on in the process, not just late. But then towards the end of the process, when you've presented, and, and they have all the data and all the facts and all the information, you want to ask direct questions. Are you ready to take action? Is this something that you're ready to commit to? Clear, specific, shut, shut up. And then they're going to tell you. They're either going to hesitate, they're going to hem and haw, like they say in West Virginia where I grew up. <laughs> they're going to not tell you something. They're not going to commit. They're going to be reluctant. They're going to avoid. They're going to delay. And if they do that stuff, you're going to acknowledge it and you're going to stick with it. You're going to say, I noticed that you're hesitating. 
I'd like to explore that a little bit with you. Let's, let's dive into that. Obviously, it doesn't feel like you're ready. So talk to me about that. Let's talk about it. What doesn't feel right now? Or what doesn't this, does it, what seems to not be landing correctly for you at this point? What are some things that perhaps we've not addressed or I've missed? Let's talk about it. So you go into the resistance. You explore the resistance. You explore the reluctance. And you keep opening up the dialogue. As long as you have them in dialogue with you, then you have a chance. Make sense? When they yeah. shut you down and they're no longer talking to you, then you've lost them. And you've probably missed something along the way that you didn't ask or didn't discover or didn't find out. Maybe you don't have the right decision maker. Maybe you didn't find out there's competitors. Maybe you didn't find out there's not enough money or not enough motivation or that they have a whole hidden agenda that they haven't shared with you. Make sense? Yeah, that's really Excellent wisdom. It sounds like the theme is ask questions and be curious the whole time. <laughs> Here, here's the expression. Go slow to move fast. Go slow to move fast, meaning take your time in the early parts of a sales process. Don't try to get to the sale. Don't try to get to talking about your product or solution. S customers will be more invested in you and your solution the more you listen to them up front. And the more you listen to them, the more they're investing in you as their partner and in their partner in finding the right solution for their business. So you become a trusted advisor. And the way to do that is by listening, not talking. <laughs> it's so contrary from what we like to do in sales. We like to talk. <laughs> Gosh, that is entirely true and a lot of sage wisdom to pack into one answer. Joel, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we're halfway through the, uh, the scheduled portion of this, so I think that we're totally good to just open it up to our regular format. So, John, feel no pressure to, you know, always be on or, or answering everything immediately. Yeah, John, go ahead. Can I go back to one more thing for Joel? So, Joel, totally. one other thing that I want to say is that, when you're in that ending stage and there's not seemed to be a commitment happening and you've done everything you know to do, it, the best thing that I can tell you is to keep exploring the reluctance and the resistance because there's some reasons why they're not taking action and you just haven't figured out what that is. And, it's, it, and remember, one of our biggest mistakes that we make as salespeople is we sometimes don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear that they're not going to buy or that they're more interested in somebody else or that they're, they've got a boss or a, a colleague that's going to block this, trying his hardest to block this thing. And there's somebody who's working against them in the organization. So we have to really keep providing an open space for them to be, for you to be their listening ear so that they can tell you about their challenges and the issues that they're facing, especially if you built that connection early on and you know that they really do want what you have to offer. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me, guys. <laughs> I, I think we all wish you could keep going. <laughs> this is really beautiful, good stuff. Hmm. All right. Well, with that, we'll kick off the uh, the normal part of the sales mastermind. Uh, 
Logan, I feel a spontaneous desire to pick on you. Why don't you tell us something that you could use a little help with? Uh, I'm curious um, what the group's answer would be to the, the, how do you ask for a raise, basically? What's that, the universal question, how do you ask for a raise? I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. Um, me in the past, what I have done, and it's probably not applicable for every scenario, um, I've always approached my boss with a value proposition when I want to raise. And so long story short, what that's looked like for me is um, like listing out specific problems I see in the sales organization. In this case, I saw that the SDR team was failing. Um, and I said, I want to take on these additional responsibilities. I want to take over management of the team. I want to, um, you know, revise their cadences and their outbound strategy to mirror what I found to be successful as an SDR. Um, and in exchange for that, I'll do this work for free for 30 days. You can evaluate my progress. If I achieve X, Y, and Z result, then I want a pay increase of $20,000 to my base salary or something like this. Um, so that's one strategy that you can use, but I'm sure that other people have used other strategies. So what do you guys think? Can I ask a clarifying question? When you're yeah. talking about a raise, are you talking about your base comp or are you talking about incentives um, that are possible, more incentives that are possible for more success? I'd say incentives. Well, I would say, you know, I'll just weigh in for you. Um, if, if you're producing results and you're exceeding your expectations for your position, um, then I think that it's you're, you definitely have the standing to be asking, especially um, in, in um, a few months ago when it was more competitive before COVID hit. <laughs> it's not as competitive anymore, but it's still a good time when you're producing to say, you know, I want to stay in this company. I love what I'm doing. I want to keep hitting it for you, but I really would like to have more opportunity as the more I get success to, to make more money. So what can you do for me? I think, I think as long as you're standing from a place of creating the results that they're asking you to create, um, hopefully mm -hmm. they're a company that's, that wants to hold on to you. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think I'm in a position right now where maybe it's, it's not that I'm unsatisfied with what I'm getting paid for what I'm doing, uh, but it's such a flexible role that I would like to uh, excel in other areas that I, I'm not really responsible for now. Uh, so maybe the question is more, how do I renegotiate incentives? So that's good advice. Thank you. They need to see, they need to see what value your extra work or your revenue production is going to bring to the company. So if you can justify whatever else you can produce for the company and say, here's what I'd like to do. And this is how it's going to help the company. And this is the benefit it's going to bring you. Um, can you, can you give me some idea of how that can be compensated so that I can grow and I can feel happy and I can see a pathway to, to my growth and continued evolution, development, and contribution. Yeah, that's great, thank you. Yeah, that's really awesome. Michael, you're new to sales. What's been going on for you, man? What kind of uh, obstacles, challenges are you running into? Two words, well, three if I throw the expletive in there. Uh, Google Assistance, man. 
<laughs> freaking hate them. That's what I'm right now. So it's like, I'd say on average, uh, we're probably hitting like, so I, I make about average day or anywhere from 60 to 70 calls. Um, of those calls, 30% of them are met with a Google assistant and you're, and you're like, Hey, are we, they ask who's calling. And, and that's like an automatic. No, no one ever picks up that, that line. So I'm trying to figure out, is there some way that I can <laughs> hack, hack the Google assistants and not necessarily pull a Michael Scott from the office and be like, you know, it's your daughter's pediatrician, but like, how do I get these people on the phone uh, when they're screening everything with a Google assistant? That's like what I've been trying to think through. I've got other stuff, but that was the one that's really pissing me off. Yeah, that's kind of annoying. My brain goes to two two routes to tackle it. One would be trying to optimize pickup rates when you do get hit with a Google Assistant. Um, and I have no idea if that's a good use of your time. I I wonder what percentage of people like literally never listen to the answer of, please state your name. Like I, I would imagine that most people actually literally never listen to that and it's just a, a completely deadline. Um, if you wanted to try and optimize it, maybe try some kind of hacky approach and instead of saying your name, just be like, Mike, you got a sec. And just like make it make it sound like you know him and make it sound like, you know, there's there's something kind of pressing that you want to talk to him about. Um, but my thought process would shy away from that honestly because that could be a waste of your time like you could try it and try to find a, a better source for those phone numbers um, because there are free tools like seamless.ai where you can build lists um, literally for free and you can just create endless gmail accounts and keep getting 200 leads at a time and keep farming phone numbers and direct lines um, yeah i would I would recommend going that kind of route, if at all possible, just looking for a phone number that actually works. And then calling main lines and getting to the phone tree and getting uh, direct dials, that's usually uh, worth your time if you're an SDR and you don't have a number to reach out. Well, I mean, they're inbound leads. So I don't know if the seamless AI approach would be like or, or that is possible. Mm. Um, that's tricky. Are they giving you a number? Yeah, uh, they we <laughs> use Ring Captcha to verify the account. Um, <laughs> decent amount of them aren't happy about it, but it's fun. Um, hmm. Yeah, there, there's so some I'd, kind of sales operations process that could help with that. Um, I don't know. Anyone else got ideas? Uh, yeah, I used to get a fair number of the Google voicemails, um, and there's seems to be a larger number of the bots these days the way i got around them um was calling out something that uh i wouldn't have known if i weren't doing my research so with me i was looking for people who had a specific product and i would say my name is logan westberg calling about enter name of product that way it's something that they work with on a daily basis they at least know it's relevant right away. I don't say the name of my company until they pick up. Um, but at the very least, you could try stating your name and then listing something you know um, would relate to them specifically. Right. Like an example, this is Logan Westberg calling about, 
your Avi network firewall or whatever, whatever the case it is. I like that. Exactly. Awesome. Hey, Michael, do you know, hey, Michael, do you, does the marketing team that's providing the lead, do they tell you why the person um, inquired? All, like, the, seeking... all, all of our leads are um, their trial signups. Um, and then they vet through those to like optimize for the ones that they think are, have the most ICP. Um, so, so yeah, so they're again, all yeah. for the same reason. So all the yes. same reason. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which it, yeah. if you can refer to something that's worked for others in their, in their network or in their competitors, if you have any success that you can refer to that their competitors have found value in and tease them with it in the message, sometimes that helps too. Okay. I'll, I'll check that out for sure. I mean, all these are, it's better than what I'm doing right now. So I'm excited to give all of these a shot and um, figure out which one works best. Now you mentioned- I, I wanna- Go ahead, John. I wanna just do a shout out to you, Michael. If you're making that many calls a day, you rock, brother. That's awesome. Hey, if thanks. you can do that every it's, day, day after day, some, yeah, I know it's fun. that is off to you. Appreciate it. Yeah, Michael's knocking it out of the park, man. He's, he's doing well. But uh, Michael, you mentioned that there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. That was just the first thing that popped to mind. Is there something a little more meaty that we can help you with? Yeah, one sec. I, I got to find it here. That's... Okay, no, here's, 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 a, here's a thing. So this is the newest um, decision that someone made. Uh, was basically, so we, we are able to keep track of whether or not our, our inbound leads are subscribed to our marketing. Um, so as soon as they see the unsubscribed, they're telling us to like cut, like just stop contacting them. Uh, like, so don't call them no more emails. And when I first heard that, I was like, okay, um, that doesn't quite make sense to me because they're unsubscribing to a marketing, which means they just don't want the auto generated ones. So can we at least email them? So I got them to give us the emailing. Um, but I wanted to, I don't know, pick your brains on like the calling them because I still want to. And I just want to get some, trying to formulate an argument for that um, to bring up, or like a proposal argument for that to bring up at my next one-on-one -on -one with my boss to be like, hey, well, I get they're unsubscribed, but that doesn't mean they don't, they're not interested in the product. It just means they don't want the marketing crap. So thoughts on like, um, how would you approach if you had inbound leads and you, you can clearly tell that they've unsubscribed? Um, what is that like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Question for you. Um, do you know like roughly what percentage of the inbound leads are unsubscribing from the marketing emails? Is it 2%, 20%? Um, this week it was probably, it's probably like five to 8%. Okay. So not a lot, but not a trivial amount either, right? Like that's kind of why you care is because it's like five to eight percent of all of the leads, right? Yeah, and I mean, part of me is like, okay, I'm only making this many calls a day. I want, I'm, I'm trying to optimize it on every single facet. So yeah, exactly. Mm hmm. Well, um, my first thought is, you know, there's a if you don't reach out to these people with calls and emails. Um, 
there's a quantifiable amount of revenue that the business is going to lose and making that more obvious to them by calculating it for them and showing them, all right, you know, this is how much the entire SDR team is bringing you in pipeline every month. And if you make it so that we can't call these leads, you're basically saying that instead of giving you, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in pipeline, that we should only give you $92,000 in pipeline because we're going to lose 8% of our leads shaved right off the top. Um, I think that we should still reach out to them. And, you know, if you want me to ask them after we book that first meeting with them, if they found it disrespectful or something, then, you know, we can do that and we can reevaluate later, but we are leaving money on the table. Hey, Michael, I'd check in with your, your boss and get permission to still make your calls and then, and then bring your results back to the team. And if you have results that you're creating, those, that speaks much louder than the assumption that they're making because they're making an assumption. They, they're making an assumption into something they don't know. Uh, unsubscribe, to your point, it could mean many things, and we don't know what that means. So I'd say make your calls and show your results. That'll speak really loudly. But I think you do need permission from your, your, your immediate supervisor, leader, manager to do that. Okay. Um, thank you for that caveat because I was about to do it anyway. So I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Better to ask forgiveness than permission, right? Well, so. it really is. And as long as you're willing to shoulder that, I say go ahead. But, but I do think your boss is going to catch it from marketing. So he, he or she may want to just be forewarned. Okay. Duly noted. I will, I, will, I will do that. Thank you. Yeah. But no, I mean, that's, that's it for, for me. I, I'd love to, one of these calls, not this one, but I'm working on some copy. I'd love to go over that um, with you all, but that's going to be for a later date. So um, who's next? Awesome. Yeah. Who is next? So I have something, but it includes like a semi long story to go with it, just to give context. That's okay. <laughs> I am perfectly okay with context. Go for it. Okay. So I had an initial meeting with a college and it went well. And then they wanted us to present um, just the overview to the student wellness institution faci facilitation team. So it, I don't know if it went bad, but they didn't ask any questions afterwards. And she kind of warned us that they wouldn't have any questions. And then I sent like an email post e uh, meeting just to kind of touch base and see where we were at. And she responded, it was great to have you. And we appreciate you talking to the team are taking the time to join us. And I don't know where to go with that. If it's just not interested or if there's something I can say that will kind of sway her back to establishing next steps. Do you know why she asked you to present? Um, she said she wanted us to present because they were the advocates for the students that make the, that like make the final decision as to whether or not we'll go to proposal. That was my understanding. So it's like she's the VP of student services and then this is the team that oversees the wellness committee. Uh, at the university. 
Oof, that was a tough – she put you in a tough situation. Did you know what their motivations were, what their needs were, what, what motivated them? They don't have any counseling are? center right now. We would be their counseling center if they were to go with us. And for the price they'd pay to get us to supplement the services, it would cost just as much to get, like, one counselor, maybe even more. So this is a really good option for them and a really good opportunity. I just feel like she wants everybody on board versus just her making the decision which is understandable. I think you have to, you have to call the stakeholder that you have the most rapport with and just approach them. And almost like, I feel like Patrick would say, take them to know first and then just like make it totally low pressure. Like, Hey, Catherine, I, I get the feeling from the last email that you sent that um, it's not looking like there's going to be any room for this internally. And I want you to know that it's totally cool. Um, I'm curious though, just for my own understanding, I want to understand like where, where did I go wrong in like showing the value um, to the other folks on that meeting? Um, I'm always trying to improve myself, but I'm kind of a work in progress and I'd really appreciate your feedback. Just loading up with something like that. Um, She's I feel really like, hard to get on the phone. I love that yeah. idea, but it was like really hard to even get the meeting scheduled. Um, is there a way I could somehow portray that through an email back to her? Because I feel like she'd be more responsive than trying to call her over and over again. Yeah, I, that, that response was inspired by a Josh Braun online course that I'm taking. And I can actually send you a template that's very similar to that, that's designed to kind of get someone back after they've ghosted when it seems like there's a good fit. So I'll, I'll take a minute um, while other folks chip in and find that yeah i don't feel like it's ghosting quite yet but i need to be very i need to articulate my thoughts clearly to her in this next touch whether it's phone or email to keep things moving i don't know if she still has to discuss it with the it's called the swift team if that's something that still has to take place so maybe mention that when i talk to her next time and just get her thoughts and what they thought of the, the service yeah, so in a my, lot of video. Yeah, like, could, could you do video? I know a lot of, I know it was a hot topic like a couple months ago, but it seems to have quieted down a bit. Um, would that be a viable option? I could do a Vidyard video on uh, email and just send it to her. Totally. I mean, it's better than an email. Um, there's there's emotion portrayed, and you'll you'll have almost that feel of a, a little bit of a phone call, I guess, but. What do I say though? Like what, how would you go about that, Michael? Like trying to bring it back to life. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't, I don't think you could, and you could take Nick's approach for sure. I don't think you could end it on that note though. It'd have to um, almost end with something. I know I'm putting action. you on the spot. I'm sorry. Oh no, I, I hadn't thought this through. So you're, it's fine. <laughs> um, I think it'd have to end on some sort of action note. So take, taking Nick's approach would be great. Um, and then just, I don't know, maybe, maybe ask for, ask for feedback, you know? Um, so yeah, no, Nick's approach could work perfectly fine there and just ask for feedback because inevitably if she gives that feedback, she's going to be giving you those reasons and mm -hmm. then you can work with that. You know, one, one of the things that I'm hearing also with you is the, the reason I said that she kind of set you up is because I think you went into this without having enough partnership built with her uh, initially um, I think it's really, again, going slow to go fast. 
when people give us something that they want, but it comes really fast, like I want you to do a proposal or give me a presentation or go do this and show, tell these people about it. I want to slow down and I want to say, whoa, 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 I'm happy to do that. Totally happy. I'm thrilled that you're asking me, but I need to feel like I'm totally in step with you. And I don't really understand everything that would be involved in that. Can I partner with you and can we exchange where, what I need to understand? Why do you think that's a good idea? What's the purpose of that? What, what would be the best way for me to approach it with them? Uh, why, do, why do you think that th that's a step that, that they are going to be motivated to hear a presentation at this point? What need is that going to meet? In other words, if you, if you ask her questions that she cannot answer, that's when you're really showing value because she probably didn't even know what audience she was speaking into in some ways. So, so sometimes it's, I think we as salespeople present way too soon. And we don't really understand what's going on with our customer and their thinking and their resistance and whether they're even open or interested or motivated. So I think by asking a lot of questions of her before you partner aligns your partnership. And it also sets you up and tees you up for future opportunities so that you're more successful in the future. So that's, that's kind of my thinking on this. And it, it, since it's already happened, I like Nick's idea for a debrief, and I also think it would be great to say, hey, I'm just checking in. I'd like to hear what the response was. Uh, I'd love for you to just check in with me and let's, let's um, explore this. And if, and if it's dead, I'd love to learn from this and see how I could be more effective in the future. Yeah, like I like the feedback because it helps me on my end too. It's not just her telling me, what went wrong, but I'm learning from the experience too, which is really important to be continuous growth. And, and customers really appreciate that when we say we want to learn from what didn't work as much as we want to learn from our successes. Customers really appreciate that and that they're willing to kind of be more open and since you're more vulnerable and open in saying something like that. Yeah, I'm struggling to find that template, but I will share it with you after the call. <laughs> I appreciate it because I've been racking my brain all day how to how to handle this. Yeah, and again, just spitballing um, for the sake of the call and your memory. Um, it's leading in just by owning what seems obvious from that email. I've never had someone send me an email like this and proceed to buy. So it's, it's probably a no sale kind of email when they're like, you know, thanks for your time and, and showing us the team. We really appreciated it. It's normally a very like soft in like passive way of letting you down. Um, so either doing this in a video form or if you can call them and get them on the phone, I think that's slightly even better. Last resort email, just saying like, Hey, Catherine, uh, I really appreciate the, the gentle letdown. Um, it sounds like there wasn't enough steam to get this moving internally, and that's totally okay. Uh, I would love to learn from you, though, where I went wrong in communicating value to your team so that I can improve in the future because I'm a bit of a work in progress, like adding a little bit of humor to like further diffuse it. Um, something like that just really checks all the emotional boxes. It takes the ownership away from them. It puts it back on you, uses humor to diffuse the situation. Um, and like John said, you know, if, if you're like, 
doing something they really appreciate. Maybe down the road, there's an opportunity to, to partner up again. You didn't turn them off by being needy and desperate, right? So if there is an opportunity that opens up, they'll remember you fondly. Send you my commission check if it uh, goes through. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, there's another learning opportunity in here for you, too, which is next time, always be thinking when, when a customer asks you to do something, like put together a proposal, do a presentation, when they are asking you to invest at a next level, it's okay for us to ask them to invest also. So one of the things that I might have set it up with is to say, Beverly, hey, I'm happy to do that. I would love to do that. Thank you for showing that kind of trust. Here's some things that I would love to have from you if I'm willing to do this, and that is, would you debrief this experience with me? Um, what are the next steps? Let's define what we're trying to accomplish here. What, how are we going to partner together for next steps after this? In other words, whatever you need as a result of that gift that you gave her, that investment, you want to be thinking about what do you need in return for that from her, and you want to set that up as a win-win, give-take, I'm investing, what are, how are you going to be able to give me what I need at the end of that as well? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, because then you're on the same page, and that's then you're you equal, need you're equally. Yeah, you're equally investing. You're creating an equal exchange, an even exchange. That's right. And you, and if you're not, they're not willing to commit, or they're being vague or not saying anything, then say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just think that the presentation may be premature. I need to back up. Let me ask you some more questions about all this and what what your thinking is on all this. Yeah. I really like that mentality too because it puts you on equal status with a prospect. And a lot of times in sales, it's really tempting to fall into a lower status dynamic where you're trying to please the buyer. Um, but if you're willing to actually hold firm to that and always be in a, a, you know, a mindset of give to get, but not in like a manipulative way and just like a, hey, if you need me to do these things, I need you to do these things because we're talking about forming yeah, a partnership here. I'm not a plug and play. That's vendor. right. Even exchange. As you're investing, you're checking. It's like a trial close. You're checking to see if they're willing to also invest in the process with you. And so it's really looking for a partnership, and it's a trial close. Because if they're resisting being more invested, that's an indication that, that they're not really investing in this process, but you are. You're over-invested, and they're not invested. So it's a good chance to really explore the reluctance right there and not go much further until they're willing to really be more honest with you about where they're, how, how much or how little they're invested. It's interesting because I'm working on another deal where it's just the opposite. They're very open. They let me know what's going on, like on a daily basis. And this is just a completely different experience, but it's a learning experience. So. Exactly. But you can tell the level of investment, right? That the other side is, is investing in the process. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's good. We're always learning, Ryan, right? I'm still learning. Always learning. After 30, always growing. After 30 years, I'm still learning. And I'm still failing. and <laughs> losing deals. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Man, I feel like so much wisdom can be gleaned from the words spoken on this call today. Um, can, I just, can I just say something to the team, to, the, to everybody? So I just want to say to each one of you that 
for you to be choosing sales as your career and your uh, calling, I want to just acknowledge each one of you because I think it is a v extremely honorable profession. Number one, you're willing to really go out there and be responsible for the kind of living that you're going to create for yourself. It's all on your shoulders. You're not taking a safe job. You're not taking a salaried position that may not go anywhere and may not advance. When you're in sales, you're willing to really say, hey, I'm going to take my life on. I'm going to take my career on. And as far as I'm willing to grow and challenge myself, that's how much I'm going to be able to be successful in my life and make a lot of money. And, and I would say, so kudos to every one of you for the courage that it takes to be that responsible and, and that willing to really take yourself on in, a, in your career. And secondly, I want to say that, that in my experience, the more willing you are to really show up in service to your customers to make sure that they are successful, that your commitment to your customer's success all the way through the process will come through and they will get it. And not only will they love working with you, they will refer you, share you, help you be successful as well in return. And so be generous, but also create even exchanges. Don't be afraid to be assertive and ask for things in return. So you're not over giving, but be generous, have a generous heart, really give to your customers, make sure that they get what they need. And once once you start establishing a track record like that, your career will take off because people will know you're the real deal. You're not just in it for the, yourself. You're not just in it to make your own money. You're there to help people be successful. And when they get that, you're going to be on fire and you will go a long, long, long way. I cannot conceive a better, more inspiring note to end a fantastic conversation on. Folks, thank you so much for joining. And John, this has been a supreme pleasure. Incredible appreciation and gratitude for you, my friend. Oh, my pleasure, Nick. You guys are awesome. I love being with you tonight. And I wish all of you much, much success. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Thank, thank you. you. We'll stop the recording. Wow, I was so surprised when he just dropped all of that gold right at the very end off the top of his head. That was awesome. Follow more of Dr. John Mosser at salespotential.com. That's salespotential.com. That's where you can find John. Reach out to him on LinkedIn as well. His profile is going to be in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you on the next Mastermind.